this morning with me and turn to the book of Exodus and the 13th chapter, the book of Exodus in chapter 13. And again, um, <clears throat> I uh, had passed around a little outline, if that's helpful to you. This is a green one, uh, differentiate it from yesterday, the brown one. But if that's of help to you, fine. If not, put it aside and, and uh, uh, do something else with it. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> He's right down front. <laughs> no, that's good. Good to see everyone here this morning. Hope everyone had a good rest and looking for a wonderful day. Bright, beautiful day outside, isn't it? The Lord's creation. He's good to us today. And uh, good that we can be here this morning. Again, as I mentioned yesterday, um, actually I guess it was Saturday, that uh, the sermons, the messages I'm bringing are really not sermons of sorts, they're probably more studies. Um, in fact, each uh, session we're following pretty much the same outline, you'll see that so that you can take those away and use those. But they're more studies, so we're going to be turning to passages together, looking at words and things of that nature, rather than actually just having a formal preaching kind of outline. <clears throat> but um, that's by design, and hopefully it will prove to be beneficial and profitable in the subject that we're looking at in these six messages, which is the glory of God. And again, <clears throat> we're confining ourselves, that subject is found page after page on Scripture, but we're confining ourselves to Israel's exodus from Egypt, Mount Sinai, and uh, just really up to the point <clears throat> where they leave Mount Sinai. We're not even going beyond that in the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy and things of that nature. And um, in the sessions we're looking at, God's glory, if you just take God's glory and you look in that time frame, that time period, um, you see God's glory um, involved in various activities. Um, sometimes, like yesterday, Sunday morning, God's glory has a protective nature to it at the Red Sea. Um, as we're going to see this morning, it's a cloud that guides and leads. In our second session today, we're going to see that God's glory is associated with the revelation of His words to mankind. Uh, tomorrow we'll note... God's glory is involved, there are six sessions here, where His glory is involved with worship and giving to us the thought of what worship is. We're not going to be doing it, but you could, if you do a series like this, um, you could progress then. God's glory is also in this section uh, involved in judgment. Nadab and Abihu, and the glory of God appeared. Or in Exodus 16, God's glory is involved in provision. And those aren't things I don't think that I've made up. If you just look, that God's glory is involved in those different kinds of activities. And uh, we're limiting ourselves to kind of that time period in that section. So this morning what we have is led by God's glory cloud. And we're going to consider this subject of God's glory and guidance. God's glory and guidance. Let's pray this morning first and commit our time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we gather this morning, thank you for the wonderful day you provided for us. And we pray, Lord, that it will be a wonderful day, not only of 
enjoying your creation and the beauty around us, but also, Lord, a wonderful day of having our spiritual lives fed and nurtured through the ministry of your word. So we pray that you bless our time, not only this morning in this session, but in the others as well. But do quiet our hearts now and enable us to focus our attention upon your word, minister it to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 13, I want to read for us verses 17 down to verse 22, giving us some, um, a record, a brief record of the people of the Lord leaving Egypt. It says in Exodus 13, 17, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry my bones away hence with you. So verse 17, the Lord led. Verse 18, the Lord led the people. How did he do that? Okay, how did God lead? Verse 20. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of, cloud, of a cloud to lead them the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Many years ago in one of my Bible college classes, I remember that in discussing a biblical view of man, the teacher quoted and then corrected an ancient philosopher who had commented on man's existence. I don't remember the philosopher's name, but his words have always remained with me. And that philosopher in commenting on man's existence on the earth stated, that his personal belief was that man had been set, a, set adrift on the sea of life without a chart and without a compass. Man had been set adrift on the sea of life without a chart and without a compass. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Obviously, that man did not know God and he did not know the Bible especially these passages on the leadership of God's glory. This is the third message in our study of the glory of God, and it's here that we see that God did not leave his people alone without a chart and compass. Instead, he personally guided them in their journey from Egypt to Canaan by means of his glory cloud. Yesterday, God's glory protected Israel as they crossed the Red Sea. Today, God's glory guides and leads Israel as they make their way through 
the wilderness. In both cases, it's the same God. In both cases, it's the same cloud. But in one case, God's glory cloud delivers and protects, and in the other, it leads and guides. And while that visible cloud of light does not direct our steps today, its light and illumination is still available for every follower of God, only now in a more infallible form. The psalmist declares that God's words are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So no Christian is without a chart or a compass. God's glory lights our path and His word directs our every step. Now, in considering the guidance of God's glory cloud... As I've already mentioned, we're going to follow the same outline that we used yesterday morning. So our first point is going to be to examine the biblical incident, to examine the biblical data. And once we've done that, then toward the end of the message, we will draw from that a point of application. So as we think about this glory cloud and the God's people being led by that pillar of cloud and fire, let's begin with some background to the cloud so we better understand God's use of it. And the place I want to begin is with its manifestations. This could be a little tedious, I hope not. We want to get some background and some context here, but we want to begin with its manifestations or the times when Scripture draws our attention to its appearing. From what we can tell in Scripture, it was guiding and leading the people the whole way. But the Bible doesn't record what it did every day. But the Scripture does record and draw our attention to certain accounts and certain times when the cloud was involved in certain specific kinds of activities. And... Chapter 12, verse 37 tells us that when Israel left Egypt, they went from Ramses to Succoth, avoiding the way of the Philistines, and instead of going the shorter route, um, God took them into the wilderness, and we gave some consideration to that yesterday. That was the first occasion of the cloud's appearance, the one that we just read about. And what we noted, especially yesterday, as the means for this erratic, uh, erratic route of Israel's leaving of Egypt was because of this cloud. God deliberately led them into a trap. He put them in a vice so that he could get honor from the Egyptians. The next appearance of the cloud is at the Red Sea, and I think I listed these on the, on the, uh, the little handout there for you, but the next appearance is at the Red Sea. We looked at that yesterday. Following this, and as Israel journeyed down to Sinai Peninsula, Mount Sinai, they followed the cloud, and Scripture records the cloud, that, that glory cloud appeared in Exodus 16 in relationship to the giving of the manna and in order to quiet the murmuring of the hearts of the people. Fourthly, the cloud then appeared in Exodus 19, and we're going to come back to this one um, in our second session today. But the cloud then appeared in Exodus 19 when Israel arrives at Mount Sinai and God establishes His covenant with them. 
And on this occasion, the cloud spread out and enveloped the mountain. Subsequently, God spoke from the cloud, and on several occasions, Moses actually went up into the cloud to commune with God. In fact, on two of those occasions, he spent 40 days each up there in the cloud. Now, the people down below couldn't see it. To them, it appeared as a fire, a devouring fire up there. But Moses is up there in the cloud, 40 days, receiving instruction. Another 40 days, receiving instruction. And on the second of those occasions, that's when Moses came down from the cloud and his face glowed and he had to put on a veil. That's a little point of application, isn't it? Let's not get hung up there at the moment. But Moses, when he spent time with God, his face glowed with the glory of the Lord. A fifth appearance of the cloud was after the golden calf incident in Exodus 33. We might not be as familiar with this one, but while Moses was up on the mountain, he, he, he was up there, and the people were down below involved in that golden calf incident. And when Moses came down, God not only used him to enact chastisement upon the people, but also to indicate to them and to Moses that he would no longer lead them. He'd send an angel, but he would not personally go with them. And so Moses interceded, confessed their sin, interceded on behalf of God. And one of the ways he did that is he sent up, set up outside the camp a temporary tent. And you can only picture this, that all the people are watching while Moses goes into the tent. And once he's inside, the glory cloud came and stood at the entrance to the tent. How would that impact you if you saw that happen? Moses in there alone with God after you sinned. Exodus 33 tells us of that. Exodus 40 is the next occurrence, the next significant appearance of the cloud. And we'll be referencing this passage in a moment. I'm not going to spend a long time here, but the appearance occurred when the tabernacle was assembled and set up a year after Israel's leaving Egypt and nine months after they arrived at Mount Sinai. And what's interesting about this is that God's glory, and I'll make reference to this later, is that on this occasion now God's glory left the mountain, see, Moses had been going up there to get the instructions of the Lord. Now the glory leaves the mountain and it actually comes and resides over the tabernacle. And as we'll see in a moment, now Moses goes in there and gets instruction from God. That's significant. Leviticus 19 is our next occurrence. That records the next appearance of God's glory. That, this is interesting. This is when Aaron offered the first sacrifices associated with the tabernacle. Okay, they constructed it, finished it in Exodus 40, and Leviticus 9, here is Aaron offering the first sacrifices, and the glory cloud appeared again. Numbers 9 
is the next record of the cloud's appearance. And in actuality, this is not a separate appearance, but it's kind of a rehearsal of Exodus 40. And we will note that in a moment. And then the last appearance that I'm going to draw our attention to, there are others in the book of Numbers. But the last appearance I'll draw your attention to is the final appearance, and that's in Numbers chapter 10, verse 14 and following, and that records Israel's leaving Mount Sinai and beginning the journey on up to Canaan. And verse 34 states, quote, The cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. Now, going through a listing like that is a little bit tedious. Let's all admit that. But I did that for two reasons. One, so we would have before us a list of the appearances of the clouds so that in our messages we don't get lost in the data. And if we, I don't know, I'm visual, kind of a visual person. I mean, I do here, you know. Um, sometimes my wife wonders, and sometimes I wonder about her. Um, we think she ought to get a hearing aid, and, and, but my hearing's so anyway, we talk about things and I'll start laughing. I say, you know, we're not even talking about the same thing. You know, so anyway, so I'm visual. So if I have before me an outline and I can see a listing like that, I can say, okay, we're here. Now we're jumping down to there and I don't get lost in the data. At least I've got a map before me that can be of some help. But the second reason that I went through that listing was so we could extract for our time this morning the appearances of the cloud when God used it to guide Israel. On every one of those occasions, like I said in the introduction, they all don't relate to guidance. Some of them relate to worship. Some of them relate to protection. Some of them relate to provision. So there's our list, and from that list, we want to draw this morning the occasions when God used the cloud for guidance, and there are three of them. It's in Exodus 13, Exodus 40, and Numbers 9. And in just a moment, we're going to reference those. But there's one more thing by way of background information, and I found this interesting to give some consideration to this. What exactly did the cloud look like? I mean, there were clouds out there this morning when we came, and we're used to clouds, you know, billowing, round, fluffy kind of clouds, you know and they take on different shapes and things. But that's what did this cloud actually look like? Well, Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord as a brightness and a radiance. Now, Israel didn't see it as that on these occasions. They saw it as, it says in Exodus 13, 21, they saw it as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What did that look like? Well, the word pillar at its root means to stand. And it was often used to refer to structural pillars that supported a building or rooftop. As, for instance, when it's used of Samson putting his hands on the pillars and pushing them apart. So here the reference is to the upright standing of a cloud. A column-like image, maybe like a funnel cloud or something. Not like our vapor-like clouds that change and move and dissipate. You know, like I said yesterday, you see a cloud that's going in slow motion. They all look the same to us, but if they put a, 
I guess they call it slow motion camera, whatever the cameras are up there, and you see the cloud, it's kind of moving and jumping, and you, you know how that is. You've seen images of that in documentaries. Well, this cloud had a pillar or a common-like appearance to it. Now, in addition, it must have been a very massive and bright cloud in order to be visible to all of the people, even to provide, according to verse 21, light for the whole encampment at night. Now, you've got two million people. How many people live in Brisbane? I don't know if it's quite two million. But now, those people are all spread out in Brisbane, and you've got parks and you've got roadways and industrial sections. But imagine if you took the land area, half of Brisbane, and compacted and squashed kind of two million people in there. That's still a lot of land, and the Bible says that the cloud lit up the entire encampment. So you've got to have a pretty good-sized cloud to do that, and a very bright cloud for everyone to see like that. We also know that it covered Mount Sinai, it says, as a dense cloud, and further described it as smoke from a furnace, an illustration trying to give us a picture of what that looks like, like smoke from a furnace. At night, its appearance looked like fire, and this illuminated Israel's path if they had to travel at night, the glory of God shining out from the cloud, giving this glow and this fiery appearance to it. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, Ezekiel's brightness, but of course no doubt veiled by the translucent nature of the cloud, I would assume, because no man can look upon God's glory in its full extent and live, so the cloud wouldn't have been the full view of God's glory. It would have had to have been veiled in some way. Probably the cloud would do that. It's translucent kind of nature, wouldn't, you know, and the, the glory's there and... So putting that all together, the cloud was an extremely large pillar or column that had the appearance like a brilliant fire surrounded by dense smoke. Daylight dimmed the appearance of fire, but its brightness shone at night. And this cloud's outward appearance, folks, must have been awesome, possibly even being a little bit intimidating to bring about a reverence and a fear of the Lord. Now, with that background, let's move to the key, what I'm calling here the key interpretive points and the understanding and application that we will provide. And I want to stop before I do that and just make a little comment that I think we're probably all aware of, but I just, as I was sitting there putting this together, I wrote this in my notes this morning, to just make a comment that, folks, what we're doing here this morning and looking at these interpretative points is we're not trying to find something to say this morning. Like this is a preaching time and everybody's come, they want to get some application, some nugget they can take home. So let's see if we can find some truth in here that we can go away with. What we're doing by looking at these interpretive passages is we're not trying to read into the text and just grab something out of it. What we're trying to do is actually look through these little interpretive points and see what the text itself is saying about this glory cloud and its guidance. We're trying to see what God is revealing here, not just trying to find something ourselves that would be 
you know, kind of nice to go home with and give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. So what is God revealing now? With that kind of background, um, let's move to these points. And these points will fall under two headings that I think will give us the direction we need this morning. Number one, <clears throat> the changing dynamics of the cloud and the result of Israel's response to its leadership. Let's move to that first point, the changing dynamics of the cloud. In other words, of the nine appearances of the cloud that I went through above, we're going to look at the three that directly relate to the cloud guiding Israel in her travels. And the key as we look at these three folks is to watch for the location of the cloud. When we go through those three references, number Exodus 13, Exodus 40, and Numbers 9, I want you to watch what happens to the cloud and where it is in relationship to the people. And it's from that that we draw, I think, a truth that God is teaching us here about His directives through words. His directive through words. So, we're here in Exodus 13, and we've got <clears throat> verses 21 and 22. Look what it says again, Exodus 13, 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before them. Verse 21 tells us that the Lord went before them in a cloud by day and a fire by night. And then it adds these words, to go by day or night. So whether they traveled by day, whether they traveled by night, the Lord led and guided them. And verse 22 says that he took not away the cloud. At no time did God leave them without guidance, and at no time were they left on their own. As I go through, I'm just pointing out some little side points here as I lead to us to the appearance and the function of the cloud. And I hope that you'll be making and thinking of some application. At no time did God lead them without guidance. Is there any application there for our life? Well, at no point were they left on their own. God willed their every move, every day and every night. 24 hours a day, God willed what they were to be doing. And then in verse chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, which we read yesterday morning, the cloud then leads them. In spite of the cloud going before them, God, in this case, folks, also used Moses to speak to the people and give them his directives. So the presence of the pillar did not remove or prevent the need for a human guide. Make any application? You ever run into people? 
I just sit in my home. Got it. You know, I don't need that guy, you know. Anyway, God's leadership may often be properly and necessarily supplemented by skilled human help. In fact, in Numbers 9.23 and in Numbers 10.13, it says that God guided them by the hand of Moses. Now, putting that all together, here is what we have. Exodus 13, Exodus 40, Numbers 9, these three appearances. And in each of the three, I'm going to have these two little subpoints: The appearance of the cloud and its function. Unfortunately, I forgot to put that on your outline. But the appearance of the cloud, it is a column or a pillar going, what locality would you put the cloud in at this point? It is going before them. See that at the end of verse 22? He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, from before the people. It's a column or pillar going before the people. It's at the head of the procession. It's right out in front. What's its function? It went ahead of them, number one, to lead them. Of course, it represented God's leadership as they moved through unknown territory. And it was a way for the people being able to see God. And to know that all day, every day, God was present with them, out ahead of them, leading them. So it not only led the people, but it gave the people assurance they could look up there. Look, son, that's God. Now, we know God's a spirit, and so the Father would not be saying to us, you know, God's a cloud. But it's like a father saying, look, son, <laughs> there's God. And there's this assurance that God is with them and God is leading them every step, all day, and all night. Oh, that children had that assurance today. That it's God who's leading our family. So here we have Exodus 13. Now, tuck that away in your mind. Let's go to Exodus 40 and see where the cloud goes. All right, let's see where the cloud goes now. Exodus chapter 40. Turn over there with me. Of course, we're jumping ahead. Um, at this point, we're jumping ahead about nine months. And Bezalel has made the tabernacle. And uh, they're, cons uh, they're assembling the tabernacle now in, in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 40. If you'll wait, I'll find it. I'm over here in Numbers looking around. All right, here I am. I've got Exodus 40 now. Look at Exodus 40, verse 34. After they had <clears throat> assembled the tabernacle, the Bible says, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud covered the tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journey. 
But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. All right, let me just comment through those verses and again point out a couple of points of application. Not expanding on these. But in verses 34 and 35, which we're going to look at tomorrow morning in the area of worship, we've got this cloud that has come and settled upon the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in verses 36 and 37, Israel, on, uh, Israel <coughs> only journeyed when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. Previously, in Exodus 13, the cloud was out in front before the people. Now the cloud, the location has changed. And now the cloud is over the tabernacle and the people only move when the cloud lifts from the tabernacle and when the cloud settles on the tabernacle, they stay put. Now, that happened, according to the end of verse 38, throughout all their journeys. From this point until they get to the promised land, all of their journeys, this was, the, this was, the, this was the, where the cloud was. And again, the people can visually see and follow the movements of this cloud. The people, folks, never had to doubt that the Lord was among them. They never had to doubt. At any moment of the day, they could look over there and see that God was there. Either settled on the tabernacle, so son, that's the reason we're tenting tonight. Because you see, God is right there. He didn't move. But when God moves, when the tabernacle lifts off, now it's time to journey. So putting that all together... The appearance of the cloud is no longer stated to be a pillar or a column, although it may have retained some of that same kind of appearance. It's now portrayed as covering the tabernacle. The cloud is no longer also an independent object. I'm not quite sure if that's the best way to put it, but the cloud is no longer, folks, an independent object in the sense that it's out front on its own leading the people. Now it is associated with the tabernacle. It's no longer, now it lifts off when it's time to journey, it remains when it's there. So what is its function? The function of the cloud, folks, at this point centers around the tabernacle and God's purpose for the tabernacle. What is God's purpose for the tabernacle? Exodus 25.8 says that he might dwell among his people. Or Exodus chapter 29 verses 45 and 46, And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And that comes after a section on the tabernacle, which I will read later. So the function, the point of the tabernacle was that God would dwell amongst His people. 
The tabernacle was God's expression that He wanted to dwell amongst His people. And so when the cloud came to cover it and the glory filled it, and when the people saw this happen, they knew that God was personally dwelling with them. And at any time, they could look at the tabernacle and the cloud over it and know that that is God. God is with us. There's no doubt about His presence. So no longer is God up on Mount Sinai, and no longer is God just out in front leading. Now God is right here with us. I mean, He was with us up there, but... That's up there, and in Exodus 19, God said put barriers around the mountain because the people can't come up there. Well, then the cloud got out in front. That's better. But now the cloud is over the tabernacle. So God's guidance is now associated with that. But what about when Israel leaves Mount Sinai, is God going to go with them? What about when they return and resume their journey to Canaan? What will happen to the cloud then? Okay, go to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. Again, we're just putting, you know, we're just gathering some data at this point. Okay? We're just looking at these interpretive points, then we're going to put it together and see what it is that God wants us to learn from this glory cloud guiding. Numbers 9, let me read some verses, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt. So if they came out the first month of the second year, how long have they been out of Egypt? One year. And he said, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. Now, we're going to jump down, and I'm going to read some verses for you later in the chapter, and what you want to note at this point, is not just, well, you want to note the location of the cloud, but there are actually two new elements presented to us in these verses we're going to read now regarding the cloud. See if you can get these two elements. They haven't been mentioned before. They're two new elements. Look down at verse 15. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up of the cloud... And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. When was that? That was back in Exodus 40, right? Okay, so a little bit of rehearsal before you get the two new elements. Verse 15, And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. All their journeys. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched 
as long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their places. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. They kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from even until morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, that then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, the cloud was taken up, they journeyed, or whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remained thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents, journeyed not, and when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents." And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Now, the first element. Okay, the cloud, remember the cloud was before, and then the cloud rested on the tabernacle. Now let's add to that Numbers 9 and two additional elements. Verses 15 and 16 we basically saw back in Exodus 40. And verses 17 and 18 we basically saw back in Exodus 40. The nation only journeyed when the cloud went. When the cloud didn't go they stayed. But now in verses 19 to 22, would you notice the shift in emphasis with regards to the cloud? And this is the first element. Notice verse 19. And, when, and notice the emphasis, folks. And I'll just give you a little clue ahead of time. The emphasis here is not upon the cloud like it has been up to this point, on the cloud moving. The emphasis you're going to see now is on the cloud and the encampment of Israel. The emphasis is upon not on Israel journeying. The emphasis in these verses is on what happened when they stayed put. What did the cloud do then? Verse 19, and when the cloud tarried long. See, the cloud tarried long. When did the cloud tarry long? When they stayed put, when they were in camp. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. Look at verse 20. So it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle. Again, they, they would have not journeyed. Verse 21. And so it was when the cloud abode from even until morning. Again, they would not have journeyed. Verse 22. Whether the cloud was two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried on the tabernacle, they remained thereon. The emphasis is now on the encampment of Israel and the cloud remaining on the tabernacle, not lifting up so they could journey, but the cloud remaining on the tabernacle while they encamped. That's the emphasis. And it didn't matter how long the cloud remained on the tabernacle, they didn't move. Now, 
what do you know about how Israel encamped when they remained in one locality? How did they camp? Numbers 2 tells us all about that. And there were 12 tribes. And three tribes were on the north, and three tribes were on the south, and three tribes on the east, and three tribes on the west. And where was the tabernacle? Right in the middle with the cloud on it. God's glory cloud of leadership and guidance is now right in the middle. What about when Israel journeyed? Where did the cloud go then? You know, when they packed up all the belongings and it was time to move, where did the cloud go then? Well, we know. Because in Numbers chapter 10, it tells us all about when Israel moved. And when they formed a line of march to move on their journey, we're told that three, now picture this, this great line of two million people, we're told how they did it. God gave specific instructions. It wasn't just every man for himself. Quick kids, we've never been at the front of the line. Get your gear together. Come on, Mom. We're going first today. Okay? I put in some humor, but the folks, there was nothing like that. God gave specific instructions. And though I'm not showing you a verse on this, if they violated the instructions God gave them, they're in trouble. There were three tribes that went first, and you read it in Numbers 10. They went in this order, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And they went in that order. Then do you know what came next? What came next? The structure of the tabernacle. Not the ark and the furnishings, but the structure of it. Three tribes, the structure, the pillars, the curtains, all of those things. Then three more tribes came in the march. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. Do you know who came next? The Kohathite Levites carrying the ark and the sacred furnishings. And then you had six tribes. Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Now where is the cloud? Three tribes, the structure, the pillars and the curtains. Three tribes, but the tabernacle is right in the middle. By the way, someone says, why was the structure here in the, in the, uh, the, um, the, the ark here? It tells us in chapter 10, verse 21, because God wanted the structure, the curtains and all of that go, to go first, so that could get set up at the next camp before the ark ever got there. So the ark's not sitting out on the sand, the structure's all, and they can put the ark right into the structure as soon as they get there with his encampment. Because folks, by the way, this took a long time. You've got two million people. Spread Brisbane out and send them all on a journey. How long is it going to take from the time the first person got there to the, to the last guy? How long is that going to take? You know, you read your Bible and you think, oh, they journeyed and they all showed up about lunchtime. You don't get two million people moving like that. Not because they don't want to move, but you've got a lot of logistics involved in this. 
So there's time to get the structure set up so when the art gets there, they can put it right in there. That's, that's all by way of side point. But folks, where is now the cloud? Well, it's still over the tabernacle, but what I'm pointing out is now it is right in the middle. So both with the encampment and the procession line of journey, God's glory cloud of guidance is right in the middle. It is now central to the nation, right in the center of the nation. That's the first element. Okay, now remember, it's like we're making a cake. We're getting these ingredients all lined up on the counter our flour, our sugar, our oil, you know, the butter, all this, and then we're going to make the cake. So there's a little bit there from, from uh, Exodus 13. There's some from Exodus 40. Here's a new element. The cloud is right. It doesn't matter where they encamp or where. The cloud's central. The tabernacle's central. Now, there's a second element, and we need to add this. Look at verse 18. Verse 17, so when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode there, the children of Israel pitched their tents. It sounds like the cloud's doing all this, right? Ah, verse 18, at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. Now wait a minute, verse 17 said they journeyed when the cloud took up. Now it says at the commandment of the Lord. You know what commandments are? That's a verbal word. And at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. Look at verse 20. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord they abode in their tents. And according to the command of the Lord they journeyed. Look at verse 23. At the commandment of the Lord they rested in the tents, and at the commandment of the Lord they journeyed. Here are these people... Folks, seven times this statement is made. On an eighth occasion, it's made in chapter 10, verse 13. The text has been saying that they moved when the cloud moved. Now it says that they moved at the commandment of the Lord. The point being that now the guidance of God is transitioning to words. Although the cloud will still remain as a visible indication of this new element of words to guide, God's going to use ver both the visual glory, Ezekiel, and the verbal glory, Exodus 34. Remember, we looked at those. And God is going to use both to guide but for the first time, the commandment, the words of God are now brought into play. So now we have God's verbal guidance as a centerpiece of the journeys. When the cloud and the cloud giving a, verbal, of, uh, giving a visual manifestation of God's use of words to do that. Now I'm going to give you two verses to confirm the conclusion I just drew. Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22. Look at Exodus 25, verses 21 and 22. See from, you know, ex here's Exodus 25, right? 
Verse 1, the Lord spake to Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, they bring me an offering. Verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee, according to the pattern of the tabernacle, the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Verse 21, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put this tes the testimony that I shall give thee, and there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee. I will commune with thee. I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. I'm going to meet with you there, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat of all the things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Now add to that Numbers chapter 7, verse 89. Numbers chapter 7, verse 89. Number 789. Look what it says. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of testimony from between the two cherubims, and he spake unto him, verse, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, say unto him, and we go on, and you just go on, and you go on, and you go on, and God speaks and gives instruction. <laughs> Folks, this cloud, as it were, contained a word from the Lord just on what we're looking at today. It contained other instructions. But the cloud, as it were, contained a word from the Lord regarding His will for their travels. I say the cloud, as it were, because the cloud, you know, is not over the town, and it's speaking. But here's, we all understand the ark, the mercy seat, but God is speaking. Why is the cloud over the tabernacle? Because when Moses goes in, he's communing with God. Now, eventually Moses won't be able to go in, and it will only be Aaron, you know, the high priest, and once a year, and that, you know, we're, we're in a transitional period of time where it's just been built, and we're going from Moses' leadership to Aaron and the sacrifices. So Moses is going in. Eventually it's going to be Aaron. Um, eventually it will be the teaching Levites, the scripture speaks of them who will speak on behalf of God, leading eventually to the Old Testament prophets, leading to the New Testament evangelists and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers. This is all developing. But here's this appearance, appearance and function. The appearance of this cloud, it covered the tabernacle when the nation was encamped. And when the nation journeyed, when the na excuse me, it covered the tabernacle when the nation was and when the nation was encamped, it was right in the center. And when they journeyed, it was right in the center of the procession. And it had a two-part function to emphasize the centrality of God's presence with them, particularly His guidance and leadership, 
and a second function to express the personal nature of his words as he directs the nations through them. In other words, folks, God's presence and his personal guidance is central to their success in travel. And they are not to move a foot unless they have a direct and specific word from God. If God doesn't give them a word, don't you move. You only move when you've got a word from God. Any modern day application? Well, I'm not making that now. I'm just trying to keep your mind flowing. But in your Christian life, you don't move until you've got a word from God. Now, the second interpretive element, and I'm not going to spend time here, but I just want to give this. The second interpretive element with the cloud was not only the dynamics of the cloud, we spent all of our time there. So I'm just, just going to comment here very briefly. The changing dynamics of the cloud. The mountain going before, resting on the tabernacle, then it is central, and now words are involved. And a second key interpretive point leading to an application is this, folks, Israel's experience with the cloud. What did Israel experience as a result of the cloud's appearance and function? That depended upon their response to the cloud, right? If they decided when Moses was up there on the mount communing with God in the cloud, if they decided that the cloud had been up there too long, you know what they did? They built golden calves and they disobeyed God's words. And they reap the benefit, right? Well, I should, it wasn't a benefit. They reap the result of that. But if the people followed God's words, they experienced prosperity. So you know what the cloud did sometimes? Deuteronomy 8, God says, I led you into the wilderness and suffered you to hunger so you would learn that man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, you don't move and you don't act unless you've got a word from God. And if you do that, you know what? What does the passage say? Your shoes won't wear out, and your clothing won't wear out. You remember what, remember what happened to Israel in the wilderness? And God led them into a land of milk and honey. You remember the passage, though? But he says, but don't you forget that I'm the one who brought you here. Don't you think that you got this all by your own hand? <laughs> you remember it was my goodness, and I led you here. So again, you obey, he says, my commandments. And you know the history of Israel when they did, and you had a few kings that caused them to do that, and they prospered. But look at all those kings who led them astray, and look what happened to them. Look where Israel is today. You know why they're in the condition they're in today? Because they didn't follow all the words of God. 
So here is the Lord. So folks, what kind of, what kind of, you know, the point being that prosperity only comes by responding with a faithful obedience to the directives of God. Now what application are we supposed to make from that? What application are we supposed to make from the fact that God will guide his people in every step of their journey? And he did that by expressing his directives to them through words. What application should we make of that? Well, I'm making the application that you can see in your notes there regarding this. The one application I want to draw our attention to is the necessity for an infallible guide. The necessity for an infallible guide in life and that the Bible is that guide. Of course, we're familiar with 2 Timothy 3. And if you can just turn over there, I'll try to cut this down a little. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, folks, we need this kind of guide. And what I'm going to say from this point on is no doubt familiar to us. I simply want to confirm what we know and draw us back like a compass. Sometimes, sometimes in life, folks, you've got a compass and it always points north, right? But sometimes the compass gets, gets bumped and the, and the arrow flies off. And once in a while, you've got to get it to reorient to north again. So look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. You know what that word perilous means? It means fierce and savage, savage seasons. What do you think about this? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. Verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of self. You got these savage seasons, perilous times, fierce seasons in verse number 1. And then in the next eight verses, and I only read a couple of them, folks, in the next eight verses, there are some 26 last day characteristics of evil which have the potential of multiplying themselves into over 67 million characteristics of muddy depravity. And if anybody wonders why our day and age is fierce and savage and perilous to the Christian life, it's because you've got 67 million characteristics of muddy depravity out there. And life becomes very complicated as the Christian tries to navigate all of that peril. And in my lifetime, the peril keeps moving and getting deeper. When I was a kid, no one ever heard. I never heard any of my adult parents, I never heard of my, any, any adult people at church ever refer to gender uh, um, identity. I never heard of, and I, won't, I just don't like using the words, but the Bible uses, I'll use the word sodomites. I mean, I never heard of anything like that when I was a kid. It was a scandal. Folks, literally, there was a guy in town one time who went and lived with a woman and they weren't married. It was a scandal. It was a scandal in our town. 
and over just in my lifetime the peril and Christians folks have to navigate this. What can enable us to do that? Well, we could read the, re the middle of the chapter, but go down to the end. You know these verses. Verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able, number one, to make thee wise unto salvation. And verse 16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and his profitable doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Number two, that the man of God may be perfect, he may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Do you see those words, thoroughly furnished? Those words were used in the first century for the outfitting of a ship. And when a ship was going on a long voyage, they would pull the ship up to the dock in London somewhere. They would put on their extra sails and extra rigging and extra rope. They'd put all the food on there, the chickens, the cows, the pigs, whatever they put on ships back then. They would outfit the ship for the voyage and then it would set sail on the voyage. And the Bible is saying here that in times of peril, which have been from Christ, they're only increasing, increasing until He comes again. In perilous times, the thing that will outfit a Christian for the voyage of life are the Scriptures. And that's what we need in these day and age. And it doesn't matter, folks, what it is, what question comes to our mind. What question is asked, the first thing that needs to come to our mind is, what does the Bible say? Not what I think the Bible says, but what does the Bible say? And we ransack the scriptures to find out what God is communicating to us. And we don't move, and we don't make a decision and we don't give counsel, and we don't do whatever, unless we've got a word from God. What kind of life would that give to a person if they did that? What do you think? What kind of life would that give to a person if, if the scriptures were the central thing in their life? I mean, there's the tribes, yeah, but here's dad, here's mom, Here's a couple children, here's a couple children, and the Bible's right in the center of our family. And we don't do anything, and the kids know it. And when they get to be teenagers and they want to do something, and they, you know, kids talk among themselves, why don't you go ask? Oh, no, no, you know how Dad is. If it's not in the Bible, he's not going to do it. Well, let's find some scripture on it. <laughs> you know, kids are. Our family doesn't do anything except it be in the Bible. What kind of life would they have? You know the kind of life they'd have? The kind of life that Joshua talks about. The kind of life of Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law shall he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water. And it amazes me almost every time we, drive, we fly down here or fly back home and uh, we go out over some of those vast wilderness, those vast dry areas, and you look, and there's the ribbon of the river flowing through. And there's all that greenery. Why? Because there's water there. 
And then what do you think of Joshua chapter 1, verse 8? This law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but in this law you shall meditate day and night. And what's it say? That you will prosper and have good success. You know what the word prosper means? In that passage, the word prosper means to accomplish satisfactorily what is intended. You want to do something and accomplish it satisfactorily? And the words good success, these are the better words, folks. They mean to act wisely. The term refers to the process of thinking through a complex arrangement. Now catch this. The word means to think through a complex arrangement of thoughts, which then results in a wise decision. Thinking through a complex, thinking through 26 million characteristics of muddy depravity and sorting out what our family should do and coming to a wise decision. And the Bible, God says, will enable you to do that. And the point is, folks, that interaction with the Bible will not only cause a person to satisfactorily complete what is intended and what God wants you to do, but it will also enable us to think through the difficult things in life and make a right decision. So, the degree to which you interact with the Bible is the degree to which you're prospering. The degree to which you're interacting with the Bible is the degree to which you're prospering in spite of appearances to the contrary. God's Word is an infallible guide. It's the divine glory cloud. This is the divine glory cloud of the 21st century. And it will guide and lead and direct us in such a way that someday we will make it safely to the promised land. The land of God, the blessed home of the redeemed. God's glory cloud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, we thank you for the opportunity of doing so. We pray that you'd minister these things to our heart, Lord. Many of them we're familiar with, but set the compass straight again. And Lord, minister to us the necessity of your word to guide us in life. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.